Welcome to Eureka Street Crypto. This is my anti-professional crypto channel. I'm just a barely sane dude who fell down the cryptocurrency rabbit hole. This channel is my fumbling attempt to communicate myself outside my own head about my journey in the crypto space. It is basically my brain dump. None of this is actual financial advice. Good morning, everybody. I'm Eureka John, and you're at Eureka Street Crypto, broadcasting from Leander, Texas. It is 6.48 in the morning on October 9th, 2022. Um, this is episode 490, if you're watching on YouTube um, or any video device. Um, if you're on... Uh, Spotify or Apple or anything like that, you know, Google Play, podcasting, audio platforms. I think it's like episode 162, 163, something like that. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know why they're just, um, well, I, I started doing the audio podcast later. And so I started counting those later. <laughs> so that's the only reason why. And once I got started, I just never synced them back up. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, this is my morning crypto show. Um, I used to do it every single morning, not so much anymore. Um, its purpose was to kind of get me involved in the crypto world in the Web3 space and to experiment and to to try new things and meet new people in this space. And it has done that. And I've gotten involved in DAOs and Bankless DAO, a Journo DAO, uh, you know, Crypto Sapiens podcast and other types of projects. And, um, you know, I've gotten so busy with that stuff and I'm doing tons of amazing stuff with those DAOs and those projects um, that I um, no longer have as much time to do this show. Um, so it Mission accomplished, right? But I still enjoy at times flipping on the switch um, every couple weeks or every week or so and uh, talking about some new and updated things going on in the crypto space. Other things that I find, I always say this is my message in the bottle to reach out to other people in the Web3 space. This is my sandbox to experiment with different um, audiovisual techniques. And this is my brain dump to just dump out a lot of stuff that have been that I bookmark and that I come across in uh, in my feeds. So and in my research on the space. So yeah. Anyway, so let's go over here to the old CoinGecko and see what's going on. Um, all right, so CoinGecko is one of those uh, price aggregators. It comes, it, all the price feeds from all the exchanges. CoinGecko is one of those places that uses Chainlink to, to aggregate it. And Chainlink is what's called an Oracle. And uh, you know, a lot of, uh, I recently went to Los Angeles and uh for the ONA, Online News Association Conference. And I went there with JournoDAO to talk about Web3 and to help journalists understand how Web3 and the Web3 tools can be used in journalism for decentralization of journalism, for anti-censorship, uh, for the journalists to be able to connect directly with their audience instead of through um, a lot of these platforms that that can censor or can overcharge or you know things like that. So it gives, you know, more control um, for the journalists and uh, maybe more of a sense of reliability for the for the people um, for the consumer you know the consumer of the media so I hate to use the word consumers you know it's, it's like I long time ago you know I started off in, in business school and uh, people were just constantly referred to as consumers and not people and it just kind of started getting to me and you know <laughs> I ended up going to seminary after that so <laughs> 
I don't know. I guess that's where my mind was at the time. It just really graded me every time that they, they talked about the consumer. I was like, that consumer is a person, you know? And I don't know. Anyway, so Bitcoin's at 19528002 And uh, Ethereum's at $1,326.51. Um, looks like over the past 24 hours, most of the stuff has been pretty green. Whatever, it doesn't mean anything nowadays. Um, like I said, I don't even really look at price that much. There's there's a lot of chaos going on, and so I'm not trying to predict anything. Um, I don't even I barely even look at price anymore at all. But uh, yeah, it's just good to kind of just flip on, flip over to CoinGecko sometimes and just take a look and see where everything is at. Uh, we have uh, of course the stable coins, Tether and USDC, and three and four fourth place Binance, uh, $278.87. I'm surprised it's not down more. Um, after its uh, hack, Binance had a, had a huge hack over this past week. So let's see, Binance hack. Okay, we have tons of results on the Binance hack here. You know, most of them say Binance hit by $570 million hack. Um, we got TechCrunch here saying Binance hit by a $100 million bridge hack. So which one is it? I mean, I'm sure it's probably 570. Oh, okay, so... Uh, all right, so we'll just go to Reuters. And Reuters says Binance linked blockchain hit by 570 million crypto hack. So, okay, a Binance, a blockchain, okay, a blockchain linked to Binance, the world's largest crypto exchange, has been hit by a 570 million dollar hack. A Binance, man, hacks have been getting more and more. Uh, in number, you know, it's 600 million, 500 million, you know, like, I can't remember what the wormhole hack was, but it was huge. You know, it's, it's, these, these hacks are getting to be more and more millions of dollars than they used to be. It seems, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but uh, <clears throat> I'll have to look that up and just kind of maybe create a graph of how much uh, each hack has, has taken out of people's you know, wallets and in, in the past, uh, over the past years and see if that graph happens to increase. Anyway, um, the, this is the latest in a series of hacks to hit the crypto sector this year. Yeah, we've seen tons of hacks. Yeah, that's what's interesting about the crypto space. <laughs> you know, if you don't invest too much money in it and, and, and put all your money in one place, it can be a really fun, interesting place to be. Um, it's kind of like you know, uh, playing a racing game and, and dodging you know, cars. <laughs> You're just kind of going through, seeing how fast you can go and dodging the hacks and all types of stuff. You know, I've managed to barely get away from a couple hacks and happened to like move my stuff out just in time uh celsius was one of those you know i happened to just move my everything off of celsius um, just before it crashed and i don't know why i just had this gut feeling uh alex mashinsky was kind of acting all squirrely and and, and uh, he was lashing out at the BlockFi uh ceo and just acting how an, a ceo should not act and i just kind of had a bad feeling about it and i just pulled everything out of celsius and i'm glad i did um anyway Binance CEO Chengpeng Zhao said in a tweet that tokens were stolen from a blockchain bridge used in the BNB chain known until February as Binance Smart Chain. And um, Binance Smart Chain was supposedly Binance's attempt at, at creating like a a decentralized chain, you know, that didn't go through their centralized exchange. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, blockchain, but it was owned by Binance, so... 
yeah, not decentralized. <laughs> Blockchain bridges are tools used to transfer cryptocurrencies between different applications. Criminals have increasingly targeted them with some two billion stolen in 13 different hacks mostly this year. Uh, yeah, bridges are tools used to bridge cryptocurrencies from one chain to another say you have you want to move some tokens from cosmos to ethereum and you need a bridge to do that from solana to ethereum you need a bridge to do that the wormhole bridge was one and that was a huge hack and in between these bridges there's a use a use of oracles and oracles are like chain link and uh, you know things that that funnel from blockchain to blockchain or from outside of the blockchain to the blockchain um, they're intermediaries and a lot of times those oracles are, are um, traditionally can be pretty easily easy to exploit for hackers um, so I, I'm not sure if that's the case here but you know uh, could be I say so the hackers stole around a hundred million dollars worth of crypto all right so was it $570 million or $100 million? So uh, BNB said later, BNB chain said later in a blog post, a total of 2 million of the BNB cryptocurrency worth around $500 million was withdrawn by the hacker. Uh, interesting. So the majority of the BNB remained in the hacker's digital wallet address, while about $100 million worth was unrecovered. Okay, I see. All right. So they took about two million of the BNB cryptocurrency worth about 570 million, and the majority uh, remained in the hacker's wallet address while about 100 million dollars worth was unrecovered. So it, they, they stole 570 million dollars, which makes for a better headline, you know, except for ten, TechCrunch did not sensational, sensationalize that, which, you know, uh, good on them, you know, because um, every single other one has said 570 million dollars worth of, of crypto was stolen, you know. <laughs> No, $100 million worth was actually unrecovered. You know, Yes, $570 million was stolen, but uh, you know, the rest was, was recovered, I guess. So BNB chain supports BNB, formerly known as Binance Coin, which is the world's, farth, farth, which is the world's fifth largest token with a market value of over $45 billion. Yeah, and I, Binance is big, you know? And uh, mo I've never really used Binance that much um, at all. Um, because first of all, um, there's Binance US, but um, I can't use it in Texas. I can't even use Binance US in Texas. And I, I, yes, I've tried a VPN, you know, and I, I go to set up an account and I can't get through KYC. And uh, yeah, so Binance has really always been kind of irrelevant for me, but I know a lot of the world uses Binance and especially over in Asia. But, uh, you know, if you go to Binance Smart Chain and you see a lot of the projects that are on there, it's just absolute scammy crap. And, um, yeah, man, you know, the longer I'm in the crypto space, the more I try to stay away from the scammy crap. Um, you know, like, it's... <sighs> There's a lot of regulators cracking down hard on crypto. And, um, you know, the U.S. government says it wants to crack down on crypto. You know, I know Joe Biden wants to crack down on crypto, but they want to bring in the central bank digital currency at the same time with CBDC, which is a central. So if you have decentralization, you're going to have chaos. You know, it's the bazaar and the cathedral. And there's a book. I, I think I'll have to look that up. Hold on. Okay, here's the cathedral and the bazaar. Not the bazaar and the cathedral. Um, but I, I've never read this book or this paper or whatever. I need to read it, actually. Um, so I will probably order it here. <laughs> it, it, I've heard this, this paper, this book, used enough in illustrations and podcasts for people talking about uh, different ways of doing things. All right, and so... 
in decentralized web space, you're going to have tons of scammy crap. You're going to have, you know, tons of, of things to navigate through. You know, um, you're trying to find the diamonds in the rough, you know, things like that, you know. And um, that's what happens whenever you allow for free range decentralization and for innovation to happen. You know, you you have to be smart. A lot of the the learning process and the learning curve is placed on you. The responsibility is placed on you, the user, you know, the experimenter, the person who wants to learn. But there's a lot of danger, you know? So you, you get things like hex, you know, like direct marketing to your grandma or on the side of a city bus and stuff like that and promising exponential returns. You know, and most people end up just like losing their money. Then you have regulatory agencies wanting to come in there and straighten it up and to to create something safe for everybody. And, uh, you know, but what that happens, it, it creates like a cathedral and a bazaar. So here, here we'll look at this here. The Cathedral and Bazaar, Musings on Linux and Open Source by an Accidental Revolutionary. It's an essay and later a book by Eric S. Raymond on software engineering methods based on his observation of the Linux kernel development process and his experiences managing an open source project, Fetchmail. It examines the struggle between the top down and the bottom up design. The essay was first presented by the author uh, at the Linux Congress in May 27, 1997 in Würzburg, Germany, and was published as the second chapter of the same book titled 1999. Okay, anyway, so the, the essay contrasts two different free software development models. The cathedral model, in which the source code is available with each software release, but the code developed between, between releases is restricted to an exclusive group of software developers. New Emacs and GCC were presented as examples. Um, the bizarre model in which the code is developed over the internet in view of the public, Raymond credits Linus Torvalds, leader of the Linux kernel project, as the inventor of this process. Raymond also provides anecdotal accounts of his own implementation of this model for the Fetchmail project. The essay's central thesis is Raymond's proposition that given enough eyeballs, all bugs are shallow, uh, which he terms Linus's law and more widely available. The source code is for public testing, scrutiny, and experimentation. The more rapidly all forms of bugs will be discovered. In contrast, Raymond claims that an inordinate amount of time and energy must be spent hunting for bugs in the cathedral model since the working version of the code is available to only a few developers. So yeah, you know, many, many hands make light work. That's the kind of thesis of the bizarre model. Um, that's kind of what has been going on in, um, in the crypto space. And the more decentralized you are, um, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of people looking at your work, but then there's a, there can also be just a lot of problems, you know, for somebody walking into a bazaar. Um, if you're naive or if you're rich, <laughs> there's a lot of pickpockets and thieves in there, you know. Um, but you know, at, in the cathedral, to 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 use the analogy further, you know, there's if you go in there and uh, you're not perfect, or if you're not qualified, then you could be gatekept. You know, you, you could be locked out of certain opportunities, certain positions, um, certain places within the cathedral. I remember going into a cathedral in Germany when I was 19 years old. I went over there. Um, with a with a school class or 18 years old, there were all these Baroque cathedrals, and um, there was the place where the commoners sat, and then you had all these, I don't know what they are, these gates, these golden gates, you know, that looked like gold leaves and everything, that separated the clergy away from the commoners, and so the commoners, 
where you were sit, you seated, you could not even really see what was going on. And on top of that, the priests and the clergy, they weren't even speaking colloquial German. They were speaking Latin, so nobody could understand them anyway, and nobody could read. You know, the only the only way that the commoners would understand what was going on was be able to look at the pictures in the stained glass windows on the sides of the cathedral. So, or the churches. So, there's there's a lot of gatekeeping going on and, and uh, centralization of the knowledge in the cathedral model. And so that centralization is really what regulators are trying to do. So let's bring this back to CBDC. Right now we have all these cryptocurrencies trying to redefine what money is. And um, yeah, we are in this place trying to experiment with money. Uh, we're experimenting with society through DAOs. Um, an interesting thing about DAOs and smart contracts is that you can have the, the the treasury being run by smart contracts by a community of people. So the 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 hierarchy of an organization or a community is flattened. But, and, but DAOs allow people to experiment with different types of societies, different ways of running governments and all that stuff without looting or, or, or killing or oppressing people um, that has happened in the past when there's been societal experimentation. Um, so... The bizarre model allows for this type of stuff to happen. And decentralization keeps that power in the hands of the people. The cathedral model and the CBDC model takes that and centralizes it, centralizes it all. And so there might be digital money and there might be digital currency, but who's ever in charge of that digital money and digital currency will be able to turn on and off that switch at will. Um, I, I found a, a, an interesting clip on, um, on Twitter, as I usually do. And the more and more I follow this stuff, the more I see the World Economic Forum's name popping up, and the more I see that the World Economic Forum is the entity that is wanting to try to control all this centralization of the central bank digital currency and to try to to make all the uh, the governments implement this into their own countries um, and uh, you know it seems like every year they're just gathering together trying to figure out the best ways to slice up the pie and to centralize everything and to cut out any type of control that individuals may have um, and they're they're just basically trying to break up the bazaar you know, that is going on, you know. And I know the bazaar is not perfect, but I lean towards the bazaar model, as if you don't know. But uh, anyway, here, listen to this, and uh, we'll, we'll, you'll you'll kind of gather what I'm talking about. And it's not about the U.S. versus China. It's about what underpins a world order is always the financial system. I, I was very privileged. My father was an advisor to Nixon when they came off the gold standard in 71. And so I was brought up with a kind of inside view of how very important the financial structure is to absolutely everything else. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of 
every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. In my opinion, we're going to need a digital constitution of human rights if we're going to have digital money. Uh, but also, this new money will be sovereign in nature. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. Okay, so that was at the World Government Summit in 2022, um, this year, and yeah, you know that they're going to have countries bring in sovereign digital currencies, which are CBDCs, which create the social credit system. And um, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're not. It's not even a conspiracy theory. You know, you try to describe this stuff to to just your your neighbor, your normal average person, and they just don't believe it. You know, or they're like, ah, there's nothing we can do about it anyway. You know, and she did say there's a great danger in this between you know the states and and the people you know and there has to be some kind of some you know, digital human rights that needs to be established before implementing this stuff well china already implemented it and you see what's happened over there and uh, the us is on the brink and there's no sign of any sort of digital constitution of human rights going on whatsoever they're just rolling it out you know so yeah i don't think that the, the digital constitution of human rights is, is on anybody's mind that's creating this stuff um uh, so let's, let's also go over here and take a look at something else that i saw anyway so did anybody ever vote for these people in the world economic forum and you know how, how are these people able to dictate all these these countries political leaders all around the world. I mean, it just, you know, it blows my mind. And so uh, here's another tweet here. It says Rahul Chabra. I don't know who that is, but he says, this still blows my mind. And here we have the PayPal mafia. Um, I suppose all these people here um, have uh, come out of PayPal at some point, including Elon Musk here. But um, all these people here work for all these companies um, and a lot of these companies uh, engage in some really heavy censorship. Um, so here's below Tim Kennedy. I don't know who that is either, but saying, um, close your PayPal account. Um, the new policy allows them to deduct $2,500 from your account for misinformation. What? So they are allowed to deduct $2,500 from your account for misinformation. Now, that has to be a mistake. So I had to look it up. Yeah, because that's just like, you know, that's, I mean, that's total social credit system right there. I mean, it's insane. So I, I looked it up and I did find that it was indeed, um, I mean, it was published on the PayPal terms and services, you know, so terms and conditions or whatever. It, it was it was published um, erroneously, they claim, right? So PayPal, okay, so let's look at this little thing that I found on Slashdot. Okay, PayPal has backtracked on a published policy that would have fined users $2,500 for spreading, quotes, misinformation, claiming the update had gone out, quote, in error. Um, an acceptable use policy 
notice recently went out an error that included correct incorrect information. PayPal is not finding people for misinformation, and this language was never intended to be inserted into our policy. Our teams are working to correct our policy pages. We're sorry for the confusion this has caused, a spokesperson told National Review in a written statement. <laughs> so I don't think, I mean... How could that just happen to have slipped in there? They don't have anybody review this stuff. I mean, I've seen how a lot of corporations work. You know, have you ever seen, I can't remember what movie it was. Maybe it was American Psycho or something. I don't know where they were sitting around arguing about um, whether a, a font should be a color of cornflower blue or not. And they had an entire board discussing about that, about, about that every single day. I don't know, but I mean, stuff like that happens in corporations where you'll just have you know, people bike shedding everything. And, um, Basically, that's just arguing and debating about some minor trivial detail when they're not focusing on the, the, the major mechanics of you know, some core processes. That's called bike shedding. And it just stalls up things and decisions and, and costs tons of money. And I'm sure big corporations like Apple you know, have tons of bike shedding and, and whenever they're coming out with new projects and features on their phones, you know, um, just debating about just minor details that really don't matter, that don't affect the the, the the usage and the UI of of the product. Um, so, you know, terms and conditions, I'm sure that the lawyers spent tons of time deliberating about this stuff, or maybe it didn't. Maybe it really did slip through the cracks and nobody really cared, but I just don't see it because a lot of times people's jobs and, and their sense of importance in these companies depend on these minor details. So how could this have slipped through to have been published? Anyway, the policy update had appeared to authorize the company to pull a significant sum of money from the accounts of users who spread, quote, misinformation among other newly listed offenses. Uh, changes include Included prohibitions on the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials that promote misinformation. So, how can you send this type of information on PayPal? Um, maybe that's within the PayPal messengers, you know, uh, because it's not like social media. So, if you post something on Facebook, would PayPal be able to deduct from your account on that? You know, um, you know, like back in that tweet, it showed the PayPal mafia all tied together. You know, like if you post something on Facebook or YouTube, and would PayPal get wind of that? I don't know. Um, so while the policy already forbade hate, intolerance, and discrimination, the new one would have explicitly applied to specific quote, protected groups and individuals or groups based on protected characteristics. Um, the firm's current rule book doesn't list these terms. It's unclear whether PayPal will also pull back these specific prohibitions on discriminatory language if it's only or if it's only scrubbing the misinformation clause. So scrubbing is kind of doing it after the fact. Um, so anyway, so let's go um, over here. On Yahoo Finance yesterday, they published uh, PayPal has backtracked on a published policy that would have fined users $2,500 for spreading, quote, misinformation, claiming the update had gone out, quote, in error. An AUP notice recently went out in error that included um, incorrect information. PayPal is not finding people for misinformation, and this language was never intended to be inserted into our policy. Our teams are working to correct our policy pages. We're sorry for the confusion this has caused. Um, the the course reversal comes after policy changes had started to attract media scrutiny as well as criticism on Twitter. Former PayPal president David Marcus even blasted the company over the implications that it could seize customers' money for finding their views objectionable. 
It's hard for me to openly criticize a company that I used to love and gave so much to, but PayPal's um, new AUP goes against everything I believe in, the cryptocurrency entrepreneur said Saturday. A private company now gets to decide to take your money if you say something they disagree with. Insanity. So if that was just completely a mistake and not something that PayPal has become about, then this guy wouldn't have even probably said much about it. He said, that was a mistake. But no, he's outwardly saying it goes against everything he believe in and that he the company that he used to love and gave so much to is now becoming this like monster basically you know so um elon musk he also agreed in a comment that got thousands of likes so these people are publishing this and putting it up on their feeds the policy update had appeared to authorize the company to pull a significant sum of money from the accounts of users who spread misinformation among other newly listed offenses um so you know maybe they were testing it testing to see what the reaction would be you know um i know that happens you know they, they put it out there and then just kind of see what the public will do or get people to 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 pre-program people, get people used to the idea. Um, yeah, so I don't know. The new conditions were scheduled to be added to the restricted, active, re restricted activity section of the PayPal user agreement effective November 3rd, the Daily Wire first reported. Changes include prohibitions on the sending, posting, or publication of any messages, content, or materials that promote misinformation, while the policy prior policy already forbade hate, intolerance, and discrimination. Okay, so anyway... Um, that's a centralized platform and it's a centralized financial platform making those decisions. And that's what, um, in the journal Dow, I was trying to, to, to help journalists, um, understand web three tools that can prevent this type of censorship. I mean, it's one thing just to censor, you know, things, you know, I mean, I get, you know, wanting to, to censor misinformation, hate intolerance and stuff like that. Um, but it, it, Things like that out there exist, you know, and just because somebody might have a terrible, terrible opinion doesn't mean you need to bolt their mouth shut. You, they either need to be ignored or fought against with however you see fit, maybe kindness, love, gentleness, maybe with facts going against what they're saying, but you can't just shut people up. And on top of that, you can't have a media platform connected to somebody's wallet to be able to take away their money just because they say something you don't like. And PayPal may not be directly connected to YouTube, to Facebook, to LinkedIn and stuff like that. But the network is there, as, as you saw from that previous graph. Right here. They all know each other. It's a big club and you ain't in it, to quote George Carlin, you know? So <laughs> anyway, so yeah, you know, I digress. Um, I also wanted to go back to, uh, I also wanted to go back to the whole um, Celsius thing that I had mentioned earlier. Um, I found on my LinkedIn feed some posting about Celsius uh, get, publishing a list of everybody that has used Celsius. Uh, there. There's another information dump from a centralized entity. So if you use, use Celsius, like I have in the past, you know, I, I mean, I, I got, uh, I put up some of my crypto as collateral and borrowed money in order to have a, a nice big down payment on my car. And then I paid back that, that um, 
down payment to Celsius and I got my collateral back and I did all that, you know, whenever Celsius was doing good uh, before all this stuff happened. And I'd mentioned that, uh, you know, Alex Mischinski started, the CEO of Celsius started acting like very arrogant and pompous and weird to me and some, in some ways that I didn't necessarily like. So I pulled all my money out of Celsius and then just like a couple weeks later, it just crashes. So anyway, so update everyone who used Celsius, the centralized crypto lending exchange, their personal information and some addresses, lots of addresses were redacted, but not difficult for bad actors to do searches online are now public on court records. Oh, all right. If you use centralized exchanges and ask and it asks for KYC, which means know your customer, that's the process you have to go through when you set up your account on centralized exchanges and the, all centralized exchanges do this, including Binance, Celsius and BlockFi, Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, um, you know, crypto.com, they all do this, you know? Um, so, and it includes your address, social security number, um, ID card, phone number, you know, and your name and everything. And, and hackers will have a field day with this. So I suggest any, and so Bettina says, I suggest anyone who uses, who use Celsius to change your phone number as soon as possible, including bank number. Cause they even included wire numbers. I see the court record and it's not great. And no, I will not share the link to the court case documents. <laughs> anyway, so Celsius, and here's a quote. Celsius published a 14,000 page document detailing every user's name, link to timestamps and amount of each deposit withdrawal liquidation. Uh, this horrific breach of privacy will lead to many robbed and killed and anything not provably cryptographically private will become published. Um, <laughs> Wow, uh, that's Zero um, X Fubar published posted that on Twitter, and there's a link to some of the names and all the information of the withdrawals. That is crazy, man. That's absolutely crazy. Um, they doxed all the users from the U.S., EU, Asia. I think the court did this to make an example. Um, if someone say that's not. That's not why the court's docked. I asked them, where can we find the Ghislaine Maxwell's client list and court records who she trafficked girls to around the globe? Yeah, because the redacted names did not include the client list and the records because it's very powerful individuals with money. Interesting uh, point of view there, Debbie Levitt, MBA. Um, so anyway, so yeah, um, <laughs> I guess my... my uh, <laughs> My information's out there, you know, so I mean, I'm already pretty undoxed anyway as it is. But uh, it just goes to show, you know, this is what happens when you centralize things, you know. And this is why I'm 100% for Web3 and decentralization. You know, I am on the side of the bazaar, not the cathedral. Anyway, um, yeah, there really was no point to this episode except for me just saying, you know, I love what Web3 is doing. I love how Web3 is empowering people to take control of their own data and their own information. But we are fighting centralization and centralized power and a social credit system and people that want to have ultimate control over us to take away our personal autonomy through cash, you know? And people say, well, you know, if you're just using your ATM card, it's like digital money. No, it's not digital cash. Bitcoin is peer-to-peer -peer transaction, you know, um, and other cryptocurrencies that are decentralized. As, and I know that there's a lot of problems, a lot of cryptocurrencies out there, and some are more decentralized than others, but they're all trying to attain the goal of decentralization for the most part and that's, or, or follow some kind of guideline of decentralization and, and to empower the person using it and, uh, and not to be a centralized bank digital currency, a CBDC. And, and 
to not be a part of the social credit system. Whenever you use your ATM card, do you realize how many entities that that has to go through? That you know, Visa and MasterCard are just messaging systems, and that when you swipe your card to get that you know that that bag of donuts, it goes through from you to the the payment system and to the register to the to the, the credit card messaging service to the bank. And, and then from the bank, that can go to several other banks. And who knows, man, you know, but by the time it gets back to you to approve that transaction, there's, it takes time for all that to actually settle between all the banks. And at any point with inside there, that can be censored and that can be stopped. And, uh, you know, it's already, you already see sometimes if you, if you travel somewhere and you're trying to pump gas in a place like say New Mexico, for instance, and you're stuck at the pump sitting there trying to get on the phone with some customer service person, you know, with your bank to be able to say, yes, it's okay. I'm traveling, you know, and you have to get their permission to travel somewhere and use your own money or you get zapped with some kind of NSF fee and then you know it's over the weekend and then there's like five transactions under that NSF fee from things popping through and then by come Monday roll around you suddenly have like $135 worth of NSF fees and you have to call and beg to the customer service person to not charge you all those NSF fees uh, insufficient funds you know and it's just like they are in complete control yeah, and they can censor and stop you. And then whatever side of the of the Canadian trucker issue you're on, PayPal and GoFundMe had the power to shut down those people trying to send money to people uh, to be able to allow them some kind of voice, you know. And but regardless of whether or not you disagree with that stance, those banks had the control, and the government had the control to shut down access for those people to their own money. And do you want that? Is that the kind of future you want, you know, to live in some kind of social credit system? When, and the way that government and financial policies are wavering back and forth all along the compass nowadays, you could be saying something today and then the next day it's forbidden, you know? So I don't know. So yeah, I'm all about decentralization and Web3 and autonomy and sovereignty for the personal individual. So anyway... Uh, today's Sunday, go outside. Don't sit around and think about this stuff all day. Enjoy your family, you know, get some vitamin D from the sun rays, uh, get some exercise, you know, get away from the computer screen, get away from social media, get away from Twitter. Yeah. I didn't even curate my Twitter feed and it's just like just constant, just like chaos and just like negativity. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> And then I go outside and everybody's fine. You know, I talk to my neighbors face to face. They're just fine. You know, what gives? You can tell the people that sit around on social media or watch the mainstream news too much out there. You know, they're skittering about. They, they're fearful, you know. So I don't know what else to say. Enjoy your day. All right. I'll talk to you guys next time. Um, I have a lot of different things i'd like to talk uh, and go into details about oracles um and there's a lot of uh, innovation in oracles and a lot of importance in oracles especially for decentralized media and how the, the information that is getting to the blockchain gets there and uh, i'd like to explain that process all right uh, i will talk to you all later 
Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute, and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version. Spotify specifically, if you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I am also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1. That's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. My DMs are always open. Feel free to shoot me a message. Thanks again.